Okay, can you hear me all right? Yep, good. One thing I always forget is when I'm practicing, I have my notes and you have them like up here. Then you come here and you're like, ooh, it's a bit further away, so <laughs> we'll see. How's everyone doing anyway? Okay, good weeks, somewhere in the middle. I went on a school trip this week to, we went to the Tate Britain and uh, 60 kids, 12 adults, walking from Lavender all the way up Lancaster Road to Gordon Hill, get them to Highbury and Islington, change at Highbury and Islington, get to Vauxhall, cross the river. Yeah, you can imagine. We survived, we survived. Um, we brought them all home anyway. So, a bit of a stressful week for me, but we're here. So, um, over the last few years, Chris Cody and I, we've watched uh, a lot of American football, it's something we like to do. Um, and one of the things we really like about watching American football is that the app we use gives us the American TV feed, okay, and it's a gold mine, okay? Honestly, it's a completely different experience to what we get in our TV. Um, and some of the things you see are these drug um, adverts, okay, these drug adverts. And what they do is they paint you this picture, this fabulous picture um, of these drugs. And the people in the adverts, they're always happy, they're glowing, they're vibrant. And you start to sit and you think, oh, maybe I should be taking that drug. Okay, maybe it's something that will be good for me. Maybe I can look like that. Because they're always, you know, doing some Zumba or cycling or, you know, something that looks like something we should all be doing. But then what happens is, and probably by law, at the end of the advert, there's the list of side effects that always come up. And in America, they're always quite uh, serious. So liver damage and heart problems and breathing problems. And suddenly this drug that appeared like something that was good for us all to take sounds like something only a fool would take. And, you know, in the world we live in at the moment, um, it kind of feels that the lives we live should have a list of side effects on. You know, with all of the terrible things going on, you know, the, the mass shootings, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the wars. Um, when babies are born, maybe on one foot they should have a tag that tells us all the positive things. You know, the, the vibrancy, the life. You know, life can be great, full of purpose. But then maybe on the other foot, it should have a list of all of the possible side effects. Broken relationships, suffering, disappointment, victimization, abuse, crime, and even death. Now, in fact, in John 16.33, um, Jesus actually warns us about these side effects. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In other words, in this world, we're going to have trials and tribulations. We're going to suffer. Jesus gave us this warning, and there are many of us who want to know why. Want to know why. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And that question goes back you know, to the beginning of time. It was the cry of Job. It was the cry of the psalmist. It was the cry of many today here as well. I mean, even just over the last century, think about the things we've had. We've had two world wars, the Holocaust. We've had the, the killing fields of Cambodia, the famines in Africa, the emergence of AIDS, the genocide in Rwanda, the ethnic cleansing in Kosovo, the terrorist attacks, the mass killings, the wars that are too many to count, the hurricanes, the kidnappings, the murders. The list goes on and on, and we can't help but wonder why. Why? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? 
Several years ago, George Barner, who is a Christian researcher in America, he conducted a national opinion poll, and he asked everyone, he said, if you could ask God one question, and he had to answer, what question would you ask? And the number one response was, God, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering? And for many of us here, it's not just an academic question or a theological question. It's personal because we've been through suffering, haven't we? We've been through illness. Our loved ones have been through suffering. We want to know why. Why is there so much suffering? And the, the truth is that I could stand here, uh, I wish I could stand here and give you the perfect answer from God on that. Um, but I can't. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 reminds us that we're never going to have perfect knowledge in this world. Um, we're never going to be able to fully comprehend these things, but it's like we're going to be only see as in a mirror, sort of a cloudy reflection. In other words, as finite human beings, there's always going to be something that can fog our ability to fully comprehend issues like this. Like, why is there pain and suffering? So as we begin today, as we start to look at this issue, let's remind ourselves that we don't have a perfect knowledge, but it's also important for us to understand that God has not left us to stumble around in the darkness either. And that through Scripture, I believe God has given us his light to follow. And if we focus on it, it can bring a peace and a satisfaction to our hearts, I pray, um, about this. So let me illustrate a little bit um, about what I mean. About 12 years ago, um, I, went to, I went to Uganda with my gramps. He sponsored some children through Compassion out there. And he, he asked me basically to go as his bodyguard to look after him. And uh, we were there, I think it was 10 days. I think it was 10 days. And I'll tell you what, by the end of the 10 days, on the plane home, I'm glad I wasn't sat next to him because I probably would have killed him. Okay? Um, I was sat next to this large American guy. And what, it, it, was, it was really amazing. It was a God moment because at that time, this guy was a 52-year-old pastor from Phoenix, Arizona. And at the same time, Dad was a 52-year-old pastor from Enfield. So we obviously had lots to talk about. Um, there were lots of things that we could sort of bond over. Skip forward a little bit. We had a great time. He invites me over to America. And ever since, me and Katie have gone over there year after year, had an amazing time. Um, one of the things you do when you're in Phoenix, you go see the Grand Canyon. Um, we can swap the microphone to the other microphone if we want to. I don't know if it's ringing for everyone else as much as it feels like it is for me. Plow ahead. Okay. Yep, that's fine. So driving to the Grand Canyon, we had a wonderful day there. And then suddenly, um, it was time to go home. So it was going to be like a four-hour drive. And it, it was slowly getting a bit dark. And Derek turns to me and he goes, Dan, you're going to have to drive home. Um, I can't drive. I've got, in the darkness, I've got this eye condition. And I was like, okay, you know, driven a bit in America before. Um, his car was automatic. I'm used to manual. It's left-hand drive rather than right, but it's fine. <laughs> so we start driving and we get to the desert. And I tell you what, you've not known darkness till you're driving through the desert at night, okay? Gripping the steering wheel like this as Derek was sleeping next to me and Katie and Deborah were sleeping in the back. And, you know, it's not just a straightforward path, okay? We're going up these mountains where these corners just come out of nowhere. So you're fearful, you're struggling, you're suffering. I was suffering. Honestly, up to a period in my life, that was probably the scariest thing I'd ever done, Okay? But there was something that saved me. 
And that was that in the distance, about halfway through the drive, there was this massive truck, this lorry, with these huge lights that just lit the way. So what did I do? I pulled myself in behind this truck, and I was like, wherever this truck's going, we're now going there. Okay, Seattle, whatever, Canada. Um, and just like that, I pray that this morning we can use these scriptures and this light to bring some satisfaction and peace around the issue of why is there suffering and pain in the world. So what is this first point of light that I want us to use this morning? Well, I believe that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. He's not the creator, which I believe answers one of the most common questions asked about suffering, which is, well, why didn't God just create a world without it in the first place? That's what people ask. And of course, the answer is that he did, didn't he? Genesis 1.31 said, God saw all that he had made and it was good. But if God is not the author of evil and suffering, and all he created was good, then where did evil and suffering come from? So the answer is, so God in his love and wisdom decided to give human beings free will. Now why did he do this? Well, because... Well, what is the greatest value in the universe? I believe it's love. It's to love God and to love others. Love is the greatest and the highest value in the universe. And the only way you and I can obtain this, okay, the only way that you and I can obtain this is to have free will. We have to have a choice. It's kind of like you go into a toy shop. And you can pick up one of those little dolls, squeeze it, and it says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Does it love you? No. It's programmed that way. It doesn't have free will. So for you and me to really express love, we have to have a choice. We have to have a choice. And God, knowing this, created a world where each of us were given the opportunity to choose. The problem is we've abused it. And with our free will, we've rejected our creator and his ways. And as a result, two types of evil have entered into this world. So the first is moral evil. And moral evil is the immorality and the pain and the suffering that results every time we make the choice to be selfish, arrogant, uncaring, hateful, abusive. Romans 3.23 makes it clear that we've all sinned. All of us, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all done things out of our own free will that have resulted in the hurt to others and ourselves. Just think for a moment, how much of our economic crisis at the moment can be traced back to greed or deception? Or what about the, the famines in Africa? How many times have you heard someone say, well, where is God in all of this? I mean, thousands and thousands of people are dying of starvation. Why doesn't he do something? Well, the, the truth is, he has. He's given us more than enough in the world to feed all of us, man, woman, and child. But does that happen? No, it doesn't. Why? Because of our own selfishness, our own greed, our own irresponsibility, or misplaced nationalism political agendas, it doesn't happen. Another way to look at it is, just look at your hand for one moment. Look at your hand. Okay, with this hand, 
You could pick up a gun and you could shoot someone. Or you could pick up some food and you could feed someone. It's your choice. But if you choose to pick up a gun and hurt someone else, don't turn around and say to God, why do you allow evil and suffering in this world? Don't blame God for your choice. Yes, God gave you the freedom, but he, you made the choice to pull the trigger. Well, you might say, well, why didn't God stop them? You know, when I hear this question, I always want to ask the question, why do we want people to stop other people's free will, but not our own? I mean, we like our freedom, don't we? We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we don't want anyone, sometimes especially God, taking that away from us. If God stops another person's free will, then for God to be just, he has to take away ours as well. And then what happens? We're just robots. We're doing what we're programmed to do. And worse than that, love is gone. Because love is a choice. Now, the bigger point in this is that we need to put blame where blame is due and moral evil is a result of our evil. It's like the old saying goes, we've seen the enemy and he is us. The second kind of evil is natural evil. These are the things like earthquakes and volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, the natural phenomenon that cause evil and suffering. And the Bible tells us that these two are a result of sin being released into the world. You see, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve told God to shove off, when they told God that they were going to go their way instead of his, it knocked the whole world um, out of sort of alignment. It, it took the whole world out of balance. And scripture tells us that nature began to revolt, that the earth was uh, cursed, that genetic breakdown and disease began, and that suffering, pain, and death became part of the human experience. Genesis 3.18 says that because of sin, nature was corrupted and thorns and thistles entered the world. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning in the pains, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, as you read that and the passages around it, Paul makes it clear that creation itself was put into bondage and in great pain because of the effects of our sin. And it longs, it eagerly awaits for God's redemption so that things can be set right. So let's remember that as we're looking at this, that God is not the author of evil and suffering, but it is true that he created a world with the potential for evil and suffering. Because without the free will, you and I would never be able to experience the greatest value, that love. And since God is love, he gave you that free will, the choice to love him and others. Now, some people might say, well, couldn't God have foreseen what was going to happen, you know, and stop it? Well, of course, God knew what was going to happen, didn't he? God knew. But many of you in the room here are parents. And you know that when you're planning to have a child, you know there's a very real possibility that your child's going to have some hardships in life. They're going to suffer. They're going to have illness. They might go through broken relationships, bullying, abuse. They might even turn against you. That's a very real possibility. But you still went ahead and had a kid anyway. 
because you knew that there was a very real possibility of a strong, loving relationship to come out of that act. And similarly with God, he knew that we would rebel against him. He knew we would, but he also knew that some of us would choose to be in relationship with him. We'd choose to love him and to love others. We'd choose to spend eternity with him. And because of that, to him, it was all worth it to go through that, even though it meant the suffering and death of his son, Jesus Christ. It was all worth it. So it helps me, and I hope you to remember as we ponder this, that God did not create evil and suffering. That's the first point. The second point of light is this, that we can hopefully follow. Though suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. There are many ways in which God does this, and we're going to have a quick look at three of them. So first, God uses pain to draw people towards him. He uses pain to draw people towards Christ. I think C.S. Lewis said it best when he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. He says that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's true, isn't it? You know, when life's going well, when the cash is rolling in, okay, when your job's going well and your relationships are good, your friendships are going good, you don't pray as much, do you? You don't call out as much. You don't feel like you need to as much. But when life's hard, when you're ill, your family are going through things, maybe you've been fired from your job, when you don't have enough money to pay the bills, we cry out to God in that moment, don't we? When we get down, God often uses those moments to pull us back to him, to help us open up. 2 Corinthians uh, 7 verse 10 puts it like this, for God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. And then listen to the next sentence. It's great. It says, we should never regret his sending it. We should never regret his sending it. That's a radical statement. You know, is, is this scripture really saying that we should never regret the pain that we go through? Yes, that's what it says. Because if that pain brought you to repentance, if that pain caused us to go from going our way to God's, if that pain caused you to seek God and to find God and his unconditional love, if that pain brought you to a deeper, fuller relationship with him, you should gladly go through it all again to get to where you are with God. The same pastor friend um, in America, he told me a story of a woman who walked on the wild side of life for a long time um, by her own admission. And she admitted that she was very far from God for most of her life. But one day she went to the doctors and they told her that she had cancer and that it was terminal. Um, and what did she do in that moment? She reached out to God. And what did God do? Of course, he embraced her. And she entered into an incredible relationship with him. And at the end, she made this radical statement before she died. She said, if it took cancer for me to meet Jesus Christ, then thank God for cancer. That's hard to hear, isn't it? But think about what it did in that situation. And I'm praying that we can have that attitude as well with our pain and with our suffering. 
Secondly, God uses pain to sharpen our character, to help us become more like Christ. Romans 5 verse 3 makes another radical statement. It says, we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. I thought someone was going to finish it, but no one did, don't worry. You lose. Um, it's like the old saying goes, no pain, no gain. Yeah? If you, you know, take a serious athlete like myself, I'm joking, I'm joking, okay? Serious athletes will know that to, to make improvements in strength and skill and endurance, they're going to have to put themselves through workouts where they are going to suffer. It's going to be hard. And they're going to have to do it over and over and over again. Okay? It's not going to be fun. But the outcome, the improvements in skill, endurance, strength, they make it all worth it. And the truth is that improvements in our character, in our wisdom, and in our virtue often come through a process that involves hardship, that involves some sort of sacrifice or trial and difficulty, because many times that's how we learn best. God uses pain to sharpen our character. And thirdly, God can accomplish something positive out of the negatives of life. And he does this by fulfilling the promise he makes in Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, God says that he can take the bad situations and circumstances of your life and mine and he can cause good to emerge if we are committed to him and his purposes. In fact, the Old Testament gives a wonderful illustration of this in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph was a guy who was sold into slavery. Okay, he was betrayed by his brothers. And then he was falsely accused of a crime that meant he was in jail, imprisoned for 12 years. 12 years of pain for something he didn't do. But then good God took all of that pain and all of that suffering and he turned it and used it for good. He elevated Joseph to a position of authority. And he used that to save the lives of many, many people including the lives of his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Now, I want us to actually read the words that Joseph spoke to his brothers about that suffering that he went through. Um, in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. You intended it for bad, but God has used it for good. Now, if you and I are committed to God and his purposes, he promises to take that pain and suffering that you could be going through now in life and work it for good. He promises that. Now, I know that this one can be hard for many of us to believe. It's difficult, when you're, especially when you're in that pain and suffering. You know, when you're in that miry clay, it's difficult. Let me try and illustrate it with a bit of a story. Well, it's not a story. It's something I made up. Imagine you're walking through the forest. You come to a clearing, and there's a bear there. Okay, now this bear has been trapped. He's got one of them big, toothy, horrible traps wrapped around his leg. Okay? 
And you look at this bear and you say, well, you know, I want to help this bear. I want to help it. I want to free it so it can survive. Um, but the bear at that moment, you know, what's the bear thinking? The bear's looking at this person. It's in pain. It's suffering. It's struggling. And it thinks, well, what is this person going to do now? So you've sit, approached this bear. You've seen it. And you're right. Well, what am I going to do? I need some sort of tranquilizer, sedative, something like that. So you find this uh, tranquilizer dart that's nearby. Okay, and you, you aim this gun at the, the bear. What's the bear thinking? The bear's thinking, well, I'm in pain. Why are you pointing the gun at me? That's going to make it worse. So you shoot this dart. What's the bear thinking? Ow, that hurt. Why are you doing this? And the bear falls into this slumber on the floor. So you approach the bear. You look at this trap and you realize that with this trap, you're actually going to have to push this bear's leg deeper into the trap to release the tension on the spring. So you start to do that. And the bear in its semi-consciousness said, ow, ow, why are you hurting me again and again and again? Now, your intention is to help the bear. But the bear can't understand that. Because the bear has a bear's perspective on the situation. And sometimes, let's be honest, we have a bear's perspective of life. We have a limited understanding. So as we go through pain, as we go through suffering, what do we do? Sometimes we get angry with God. We say, God, why are you doing that? Why are you letting that happen? Because we don't see how he's taking that pain and using it for good. We have a limited mindset. We want it now. We need understanding now. But actually, maybe God's got a plan where that's not going to come good for another 20 years. But we don't know because we have that bear's perspective. Now, there might still be some of you still thinking, well, yeah, right. I mean, I'm committed to God and his purposes, but I don't believe this one. How can God bring good out of my situation right now? Maybe you're deep in that pain and suffering. And if that's where you're at, then hear this. God can take whatever has happened, whatever's gone bad in your life, and draw some good from it. And the reason I'm convinced of this is because God has already taken the very worst thing to happen in history, and he has turned it to the very best thing in history. So what is the very worst thing? The death of God, the deicide, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the very worst thing to happen. And what came as a result of that? He created the opportunity for you and me to have a personal relationship with him. A relationship that might makes us part of his family, that can bring us a fullness and wholeness of life. It opens heaven and forgives sins. That invites us to join him, with him hand in hand in the transformation of this world. God can take that pain and he can bring something good of it. Now, the third and final point of light that I think we can use to really focus ourselves in this issue is that the day is coming when suffering will cease and evil will be judged. The day is coming when suffering will cease and evil will be judged. Now, you might say, well, Dan, if that's true, then why hasn't it happened yet? I mean, why doesn't God come back now and put an end to all of this suffering in our world? I mean, look around us. No matter where you turn, people are suffering. And so if God is good and he has the power to eradicate this evil and suffering, then why hasn't he come back and done it yet? 
And church, the answer is just because he hasn't done it doesn't mean he's not going to do it. I mean, think about it. To criticize God for not coming back yet, it's kind of like taking a James Patterson or a John Grisham, whatever your current jam is, taking it, reading the first third of it, and then chucking it aside and saying, he never finished the plot. He never wound up all of the story. You know, if somebody did something like that, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't finish the book. You didn't allow Grisham to finish his work. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. One of the reasons God hasn't come back is because his work among us isn't done. It's not finished. But when it is, hear this, when it is, he promises that he's going to come back and bring history to its perfect conclusion. And on that day, he will eliminate pain and suffering. And on that day, he's going to bring judgment upon evil. All you have to do at the moment is turn on Netflix. And you are inundated with all of these dramas about serial killers and people dying and stuff like that. And loads of these situations, the person who did it got away with it. So you can't help but think, you know, oh gosh, how did they get away with something so terrible? But they haven't got away with anything. They haven't got away with anything. Because God is going to judge that person one day. And he's going to hold them accountable for every crime that they've committed. You might say, well, Dan, if that's true, why doesn't God just come back and deal with it now? Why doesn't he do that? Well, once again, his work's not done, but there's another reason. And I believe it's the primary reason that God hasn't come back yet. And that's because of his love. Because of his love. Now, that might sound a little bit strange, but look at 2 Peter 3 verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. And get this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, what's God saying here? He's saying, I'm holding back the very curtain of history. I'm holding back the very consummation of time. Why? Because some of you, because some of you, he says, I know that some of you haven't opened your hearts to me yet. I know that some of you haven't asked me for forgiveness yet. I know that some of you haven't asked me to bring my wholeness and fullness of life to you yet. I know that some of you haven't asked me to be your saviour and Lord yet. And so God says, because of that, if I were to come back today, you'd be shut out of eternity. You'd be shut out of a relationship with me. You'd be shut out of the wholeness and fullness of life that I want to give you. And I can't stand the thought of that. Because I created you for life. I created you for a relationship with me. And I created you for eternity. So if God's going to hold back the very curtain of history, knowing that if he does, some of you will respond. He's giving you time. Some of you will come to him. Some of you will make the choice to say, God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to experience your forgiveness and your fullness. And I want to spend all eternity with you. You see, I believe the primary reason that God hasn't come back yet is because of you. 
It might not be you sitting in this room. It might be someone online. There's someone out there. So as we close this week, I just want to remind us of those three points that we can hopefully use to sort of focus ourselves on this issue. The first is that God did not create evil and suffering. Instead, evil and suffering entered this world only as a direct result of human beings deciding to go their own way instead of God's. In other words, we used our free will to rebel against God rather than to love him and others. And that's sin. And that's what ushered into this world, moral evil and natural evil. The second point is that though suffering is not good, God can and does use it for good. He uses pain to draw us to Christ. He uses pain to sharpen our character. He accomplishes something positive out of the negatives of life, if we love him and are committed to his purposes. And thirdly, the day is coming when suffering will cease and evil will be judged. Now, where do I want this to land this morning? It's quite heavy, what we're talking about. Um, Maybe we can have the band up as we get started. And, you know, it's a big, scary world out there at the moment. There's lots of evil and suffering going on out there and probably in here as well. But God calls us not to have a spirit of fear. Okay, he tells us that we have a spirit of, um, oh, it's left me, (laughs) of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yeah, it's my favorite verse in the Bible, but you know, (laughs) anyway. So this morning, as we come back into a place of worship, okay, I want to give the opportunity for us to come and have some prayer with each other. All of us here, I'm sure, know people that are suffering, that are going through issues in life. Maybe you here are suffering. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's family or friends. Come up to the front and let us stand with you and pray for them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone else. I'm sure everyone here can think of a person that needs prayer. We want to create a bit of space this morning as we worship to have someone stand alongside you and pray. You don't have to come to the front. You could wave someone to you. You can whisper to your neighbor. But we'll be here. So let me pray as we start to worship. Lord, I thank you that you have created this beautiful, wonderful world for us. Lord, I thank you that it's there that we can appreciate it and enjoy it, Lord God. But we know that there is evil and suffering out there as there is in here, Lord God. Lord, we ask that as Christians, you would help us to be the salt and light that you would draw people towards us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Lord, put people on our hearts and minds that we can pray for this morning. Lord, as we search for discernment on these issues that are tough to hear, Lord, we we search for answers, Lord God, but only you have that true wisdom, Lord God. 
So fill us afresh today as we pray and worship your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.